Hey, Scott, guess what? What? We have a sponsor for this episode that's sponsoring the whole gosh darn thing. Oh, this is very exciting. I hope and pray that it is a sponsor pushing a product that we are both fans of. Would you say that is the case? It's A24, our friends over there who make those really good fancy horror movies. And they're wanting us to talk about a movie that you and I have already seen called Talk to Me. Which oh, yes. we both fucking love. So yes. Th- this yes, is yes, like yes. a marriage made in heaven, baby. Yeah, this is easy. I've seen the movie a few times. I think you've seen it at least I've once. I've only seen it the once, yeah, but it's, uh, um, it's great. In, in my opinion, and we're going to talk about this more during the, uh, the, the mid-show ad break uh, in a little more detail, but for my money, uh, the Philippu Brothers Talk to Me is the horror movie to beat this year. And I say that having already seen a lot of horror movies that are coming out this year or have already come out. It is fan-fucking-tastic. You're a listener of this show. You like Stephen King. You like horror. Make a point to go see this thing when it hits theaters on uh, July 28th. It is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, the only thing we'll tell you in advance is that it's uh, about uh, an embalmed hand that is plastered over that kids use as a party trick. Uh, because, you know, when you touch this hand, maybe you can see the other side and then maybe invite other things into your world. And as what would happen in real life uh, happens yes. to those kids, uh, shit gets out of control and it does so in a very, very spooky and entertaining way. This movie is basically teens fuck around and find out the movie. And it <laughs> is so scary. It is legit frightening. And um, this is the feature debut from these two guys, the Philippo brothers, uh, Danny and Michael, uh, also known under the name Raka Raka. They have been making short films of all kinds on YouTube for years. And uh, this is their feature debut. You would never know it. You know, you would think these guys had been making features for 15 years at this point. It is such a confidently <laughs> made terrifying horror movie. I uh, we'll, we'll get more into the plot and how, you know, what we what we both thought about it during the mid roll ad break. But um, we're very excited that this episode is sponsored by a 24 and talk to me before we get the show started. I do need to. Give a shout out to our corporate overlords over at Fangoria. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years and they are better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your greasy little mitts on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So... Head on over to Fangoria to learn more and, uh, you know, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. With all that said, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Vespi here with a quick note. The recording that we did at the Highball with Mr. Stephen Graham Jones that you are about to listen to uh, is mostly wonderful, but there is something right at the very top where the sound recordist at the Highball accidentally let uh, some music play over our intro, so it's going to be shocking a little bit. It's going to drop you right into the middle of Scott's introduction. So, don't let that surprise you. Everything will be fine, I promise. All right, enjoy the episode. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rock! Bad rock! Advise me to go see a dead body. 
but sometimes that is better. On the Fangoria Woo! Podcast Network. As its name and location would imply, it is a Stephen King-themed show. We've had a number of guests on over the uh, the past few years. Uh, Elijah Wood, Jamie Lee Curtis, Guillermo del Toro, even Stephen King himself. Today we are joined by this man, Mr. Stephen Graham Jones. More applause. Louder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go, no, even louder, even louder, yeah. All right, that's it. Okay, there you go. Too loud, too loud. Uh, This gentleman is a a frequent guest on our show, and he has a brand new book out, which you're all seemingly holding a copy of right now, called (laughs) Don't Fear the Reaper, which he will be signing for you right after this. Um, But thank you for being here tonight, and thank you for picking up a copy of Stephen's new book, and... Thank you for sitting through Maximum Overdrive, <laughs> which we will be talking about this evening. Steven, say hello to the people. Hello, people. It's wonderful to be here. It's, it's really cool to be here, too. I used to live down here. I used to live in Wimberley for my eighth grade year. And, and we, w- we would, um, if we could ever hook into like a high schooler's Friday night, we would all pile into the bed of his or her truck and swing over to Bastrop and drive back and forth across the chainsaw bridge screaming, and that was, that was so much fun. Right? If you've read any of the Indian Lake books so far, you know that that's not... The way Jade speaks, you can clearly tell it's coming from this man right yeah. here. See, he didn't reference, like, oh, the beautiful Terrence Malick bridge. He was just like, remember the chainsaw bridge? That's what we used to fucking do. Hey, everybody, can y'all hold y'all's red books up? I want to take a picture of everybody. Oh, this is beautiful. Thank you. Here Wait, that's a Dean Koontz book. Yeah. <laughs> Got you. Thank you. That was wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. So well, welcome back. And thank you. This is our first time live. It is our you. first time live. This is this wonderful. This is the first time we've actually met. It is. <laughs> like it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Are we a disappointment? Do we disappoint you? No, no. Um, actually, let's see. Eric, when you were at um, Ain't It Cool News... Mm-hmm. I used to, I was addicted to your reviews. Oh. Yeah, yeah I don't know if I ever told you that. It's no. probably, it probably kind of Go weird, on. you know, it's weird. Um, but I have, a, I have a, a special edition of one of my novels coming out, Demon Theory, and I mentioned both of y'all in the intro. Talk, what? No yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very exciting. <laughs> I can't See, we're famous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, go ahead. Yeah, Eric. before we start talking about Maximum Overdrive, we need to talk about your book. This cool. is why all these people are here. Yes. So, tell us. Everything about Everything. Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah, I'll just Spoil the Starting ending. in chapter one and go all the way through. <laughs> you know, I remember Neil Gaiman came up to Denver many years ago, right after Coraline. No, it was before Coraline was out. And um, I wasn't there for it. I heard the legend of it after I got there that at the convention, he started reading Coraline, and then he just read the whole book, like out <laughs> loud. You know, that must have been amazing, but I cannot possibly do that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, how many hours would that? be? I know that would be like four and a half hours. It's a short book, but still, that's a long time. You know, it's like Andy Kaufman reading. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, but he's got such a like like a melodious kind of fairy tale voice. It might be kind of sure, sure. Um, but a lot of y'all know Chainsaw. How many of y'all know Chainsaw? A few, a few, a lot. Thank y'all very much. You know Jay Daniels. Then that's this shirt. Um, and after the events of My Heart Is a Chainsaw, because this is a slasher happening in the real world there's actual consequences. So there's people with lingering injuries. There's people with legal troubles. Jade is one of the people with legal troubles. She has spent the last four years mired down in the courts in Boise, 
she gets out in December of 2019, four years after My Heart is a Chainsaw, makes her way back to Proofrock, and it's during the a blizzard of the century, you know, which we tend to get like every two years now up there. And <laughs> and she runs into this hulking monstrosity of a dude, Dark Mill South, who just broke free of his prison transport, and they're on a collision course. And he's dropping, and there's bodies dropping left and right and in the center. And there's bodies dropping on both sides because they're torn in two. There's just bodies everywhere in this book. And it was really fun because... I didn't know that in writing a sequel, the world was already built. So I could just like parachute down to Indian Lake and take off running and just throw bodies left and right. It was so fun. I had so much fun writing this book. And I've already turned the third book in. It's come, it'll be coming out before too awful long. <laughs> now, the readers of, the, of My Heart as a Chainsaw will know that like Jay Daniels kind of speaks in Horror Nerd. Mm -hmm. And everybody else... It's kind of like, what the fuck is this person talking about the whole time? Mm -hmm. You do something really interesting, and I won't go into heavy spoilers. You guys have the copy you'll read, and you'll see it soon. But it happens right up front where it becomes quite clear at the beginning that Jade is kind of stepping back from that mm -hmm. persona while literally everybody else around her is becoming her yeah. after the events of the last <laughs> one, which I thought was a really fun inversion. Yeah, and she, she, and what, what's fun about it is she's so annoyed by all these people who keep spouting slasher trivia, you know? Um, it's because like, we all do this. We hate, when we're like 21, we hate the person we were at 17, you know? Mm -hmm. we're, we're embarrassed by the way we used to wear our eyeliner or do our whatever we did, you know? Um, and so Jade is at that stage of her life where she's trying to be a grown-up, not a 17-year-old. And part of that for her is trying to turn her back on being a font of slasher intel knowledge. <laughs> and the problem is she's in a slasher, so it's going to be tricky. <laughs> I think, uh, well, let me start here. Uh, I have not read Don't Fear the Reaper yet, because I'm, I'm not much of a fan. Yeah. But I, I did, I did, I did read uh, "My Heart Is a Chainsaw," mm -hmm. so I can I can vouch for what Vespi is saying. Jade is fluent in slasher stuff, and as well as you are, mm -hmm. you read a you read a column for Fangoria magazine, yeah. Slasher uh, Nation, yeah, our parent company about uh, uh, slashers. Um, do you think that Maximum Overdrive? Counts as a slasher where the trucks are a slasher? <laughs> you know, I think, I think Duel from 1971 was very, very similar to a slasher, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I feel like Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive is almost like a nod to Richard Matheson about, about Duel, or Spielberg and, and Matheson, maybe. But um, I know, I think you might have a theory that, that Maximum Overdrive can count as a slasher. My, my hesitation is that there's so many. It's it I, like to me, Maximum Overdrive conforms, not beat by beat, but maybe like sixty or seventy percent of the beats to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. You know, and it feels mm -hmm. more like a zombie film. Except for the big problem is, like zombies are scary because you can't negotiate with zombies. <laughs> they just want to eat you. They are kill. They don't you speak Morse code. No, they don't. And <laughs> and you can't you can negotiate with these trucks. And these trucks communicate with each other too, which yeah. is a weird thing. I'm not sure how they do that because we don't hear them like honking to each other or anything out there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know how they talk to each other. But they more celebrate every time they, they get a kill. They yeah. seem to go wah wah yeah, wah. They do. They do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's They're, a good question. Do you yeah. think they have like? A hive mind intelligence. Yeah, you know like, there's got to be that, right? It, yeah, it, either that or that UFO that we read in the postscript that that, <laughs> that got blown up by the Russian weather balloon. Um, 
Maybe that was like controlling all of them, you know, using them like a broom, like that character says. Mm. Yes. Well, here, I, I think that Stephen King might have approached this a little bit as a slasher, and my, my reasoning behind that is the fact that he had ACDC do a psycho cue mm -hmm. every single time somebody gets killed. Yeah, yeah. There is that psycho, ring, 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 except it's, you know, ACDC, so yeah. it's guitar it, riff. The, the weird thing is, though, the way that those are placed, or the way they come on so hard, it's like, in case you miss the scare, here's this, you <laughs> <Yes>. know? <laughs> Yeah, no, there, it, it always has dead air before yeah, and after, yeah, which, is, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, it is. Probably it is. not uh, <laughs> the, the best editing decision in, in that movie. No, but. no. But not the worst decision in the movie either. <laughs> uh, Stephen, what, what is your history with this movie? Like, when did you first see it? Mm -hmm. How many times have you seen it since we put you through it again tonight? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All of those things. I bet I've seen it four times in my life, in including the two this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think the second time it was on, I wasn't paying very good attention. But <laughs> I, I cannot remember clearly the first no time way. I saw it. Yeah, no, no. The trick is with maximum overdrive, once you have that Green Goblin hood ornament imprinted on your head, just from, just from seeing a poster or something, you feel like you've seen the movie. You know? so, yeah, yeah. And that, that kind of dislocates me from remembering when I saw it first. I didn't see it in the theater, though. I know that because I think it came out when I was 14 years old. And... When I was 14, I did not have a truck, so I couldn't go to town to see movies. So I didn't start seeing movies until I was 16 or so. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's dead air, folks. <laughs> that's the magic a of a live show. Yeah. I was hoping for Bespy to come in and save me. <laughs> oh, and no, I was going to let you hang there, man. Yeah, no, it's good. It's um, good. I do want to bring up, since we're, we're now on to Maximum Overdrive, mm -hmm. I do want to talk about Yardley Smith. Um, who I remember as a kid watching this movie going like, oh, this is the most annoying thing. And yes, she is annoying, but like every, I find her more and more endearing the more I watch this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about her. She is annoying, but the fact that she can't shut up, even in the worst situations, I don't know. I was watching it tonight, just having a blast with her, like yeah. really swinging for it. No, she is. She's. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call her the beating heart of this movie, but she is definitely <laughs> one, of, one of the key players. You know, she's got more charisma than uh, Emilio Estevez. Who's I know. How did he not get sleepy eyeing his way throughout yeah, the whole how, thing? How did? He, how did he not get an Oscar nomination for this, you know? But he is taking it deadly serious. I we, think we, it was the earring. Yeah. Yeah, it was the I, I think that's yeah. what did it. Yeah. He makes some really amazing choices in this, and you can uh, tell that he's being super serious the yeah. whole time where everybody else yeah. kind of knows what movie they're in. Yeah, it's kind of... It, and, <laughs> and he's, like, having these brooding moments, like, turning dramatically to camera. Yeah, yeah. It's like, going, it, this is Emilio Estevez, but is it between Breakfast Club and Young Guns? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is like right around Repo yeah. Man. Yeah. 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 So maybe this is maybe this is what maybe this was his audition for Young Guns, you know? Because <laughs> he he does he does drop one line in there which sounds like Billy the Kid a yeah. lot, you know? Make you famous. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. say that. No. No. Well, he he definitely signed up for it because it was a King production. I don't know I don't know how familiar uh, familiar y'all are with uh, the history of maximum overdrive but just to kind of catch you up very quickly um there's a guy named dino de laurentis who <laughs> is uh yes he's a kind of a constant fixture on your our show um to imagine correctly dino de laurentis imagine uncle junior from the sopranos right only you pumped him full of a lot of meth and and angel dust and he's just like Wah! and like but like screaming in a very stereotypical Italian accent and which we can all agree is funny I think 
Um, and Dino was like a legendary producer in Hollywood. He he has touched more movies than you probably even realize that you've seen. Um, and Dino had produced a number of Stephen King adaptations up to this point. And then, you know, had a big bowl of pasta fujoule with fucking, <laughs> you know, uh, straight, straight up PCP in it and said, get me Stephen King or I'll get me Stephen King. And, uh, brought Stephen King in to write and direct his own movie. Stephen King was like, I've never directed a movie. I have no experience with such things. And Dino was like, no worry. Your name on the poster? Great. Like, and, well, that didn't work. Um, <laughs> turns out you can't just hand over that amount of money and this kind of a movie to someone who's never directed it before. Although I will argue that parts of it are actually really well handled. Um... And uh, Stephen King never made a movie again. Yeah. He, has, he has expressed interest in it, but also this was a very troubled p- production. He, uh, there were some accidents on set mm. that w- one gathers Stephen King would n- no longer like to talk about. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much he would appreciate us showing this movie tonight. Well, but... Stephen King here in the house right now. <laughs> oh, I no, heard a no. baby earlier, yeah. but not a Stephen I King. I didn't hear an a yup, so I assume not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but from, from the get-go, this was a bad idea, is the point. Right. And what you just saw was the, uh, well, it's the result of that. Uh, Stephen, if uh, a hyper-energetic uh, Hollywood producer <laughs> came to you mm-hmm. and was like, we want you to direct... Uh, write and direct a movie based on one of your short stories. Would you do it? Just I don't. I don't think unless I had like a super competent um, DP. I don't think I could come close to doing it because direct the director. The directors I know, they spend ninety nine percent of every day step like putting out fires, other mm-hmm. people's fires, and. I, I'm the one who starts the fires. I'm not the one who puts the fires out. You know? <laughs> what What if that producer slid a piping hot plate of veal parmesan in front of you? It's like, what about yeah, now? I could probably be tempted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's funny is you say this about like, well, if I had a great DP, but yeah. it, it, they did have a great DP. This guy had a storied history uh, with with shooting movies. Yeah. You know, it was a, yeah. a not a famed cinematographer, mm-hmm. but on his way mm-hmm. and. Uh, one and then the what accidents, happened? <laughs> one of the accidents that occurred on this movie was that uh, Stephen King, like, he he adjusted. There's a shot of a lawnmower going toward the camera, like during that segment where the kid is on his bike, and uh, yeah, uh, Stephen King wanted it to look more dangerous. He wanted to see the blades rotating underneath it and uh, told them to remove whatever stopgap was in place so that you would not see those blades. And long story short, the cinematographer was blinded in one eye, uh, which is not funny. But um, even if you had been handed a great cinematographer, Mm -hmm. you know, perhaps a lack of experience would lead them to being uh, not having a career anymore. Yeah, you would think so, right? Um no depth perception is, yeah, is a no, problem for, sure. for a cinematographer. <laughs> but you know, like Clive Barker, he he did what Lord of Illusions, and and when when the studio came to him and said, "Do Lord of Illusions," 
I, I was listening to Clive Barker interview or something, and, and Clive Barker said, I'll do it. And the first place he went after saying that was to the library to check out a book called How to Direct a Movie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what? But he, had, he had shot the first Hellraiser. Maybe that's the one he did that for. I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you would be you you'd be intimidated by that, right? I'd be so intimidated. I've been on sets before, and it's the most boring place in the world to be. Fuck you know? yeah, it is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I Eric, love it. Eric I, and I have a difference yeah. in opinion on this. He loves going to sets, and I'm like, I get it. I've been there for mm. you're there for five minutes, and it's like 400 people standing around. Yeah, I've been there when they're shooting my stuff. I thought it would be interesting because it's my stuff, <laughs> but it's not. You know, they they put they put me in the headphones and they let me watch a monitor and. I watch the same thing get shot like 87 times mm -hmm. in a row. Yeah. And God, it's mind-numbing, man. The product is great. The result is great. But I don't know if I have the patience for that. Mm. So if you had a, a, a short story that you would be tempted, like what would be the one where you're like, I wouldn't, okay, I could handle that one? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Is Maybe, it one that involving spiders? Yeah. <laughs> it would probably father, son, holy rabbit. I would like maybe I could take a try at that, because it's a dad, a father, a tree, and a rabbit. Oh. Yeah. I don't know how to direct you a did. rabbit, but I could do the rest of it. I yeah, think. trees are one take wonders. Yeah, exactly. So you, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna cooper your way yeah. into that. Oh, hey, and you were talking about Dino De Laurentis. Uh-huh. Um back when I knew who I knew the name Dino De Laurentis, but I didn't know anything about him. This was when I'm a like young teenager, I think. And Cannonball Run came out. Was that like 82, 83? Do you remember? When sure. sure. Yeah. And um, when Cannonball Run came out, I thought that Burt Reynolds' sidekick, well, who was it, Dom DeLuise? Is that yeah, yeah. I, th I thought that was Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> <laughs> Haunted Honeymoon, starring <laughs> Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> oh, that joke died, but it is a good one, I swear to God. The youth don't know Dom DeLuise. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. Haunted Honeymoon, for that matter. <laughs> Hey, yeah. what was that joke that Emilio, that Emilio Estevez's Billy says the end of that everybody knows? Did y'all hear that? What that joke? Yeah, yeah. what? It was just like, you can't how, get, you how can't, do you cross? Like, yeah, you can't you, get there from here or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you can't get there. From Does here. anybody know that? I don't know what that joke is. Okay, nobody. Maybe it's a joke from '87 or something. <laughs> I don't know. I think mm. I think it's a joke from Emilio Estevez's. Oh, we have a hand raised. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. like that at all. Yeah, I, I still barely understand it. it, but it, it makes even less sense now somehow, <laughs> the, the usage in there. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that. I'll give King credit for, for this. Um, he, I like the way that he sets up the world here. I like the way that we see these little glimpses, even things that like I don't really notice as much at home that I saw on the big screen when we watched the, the print tonight. Like the they pass the school bus, it has the plane sticking up out mm -hmm, of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, that's my favorite part of the movie is like these little glimpses of everything else that had been going on outside of the gas station, which I guess isn't the most uh, I don't know positive thing to say about yeah, the movie that yeah. all the stuff happening outside that we don't see is very interesting. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like I, what I would have liked to have seen, I think, is some sort of like ramp up to the relationship that that Billy and Brett have. Mm. You know, because they like, she says, what is she? She says something nice about him, and then suddenly they're in the sack, and like, that was like a quick fast forward. It did <laughs> yeah. not make sense to me. It's a, it's a horny movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my man is licking the sweat off of her forehead, <laughs> off his fingers, too. Like, yeah. not even, 
you know, doing yeah. it directly, like a gentleman. Yeah. And like he's, <laughs> you know, he's he's like pawing her face. And yeah. Uh, uh. yeah. And, and I don't know many women who would sleep in that bed with all those hustler centerfolds <laughs> right. on the wall. You know, full beef all over the wall. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it's incredible. And like, and like that's late seventies hustler. <laughs> yeah. You know, centerfolds. It's, it's more hair than women. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's that scene when the, the little boy goes to wake him up, and I just was sitting there going, like, mortified, going, he's, he's like, trying to wake up Amelia West of us yeah. in front of a wall of nothing but bush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, is it, was his parents on set that day? Did he, were they cool with that? Was that a, anybody notice? I don't know. Yeah. 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 We all noticed. Yeah. Don't play fucking dumb with us. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I would, we should tell the audience about, <laughs> Um, is uh, Eric, 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 tell him a little bit about the conspiracy theory. Oh, we heard okay. some years ago, and I, I finally got an answer on this. By the way, I think I, I told you. No. I don't. I don't know the conspiracy theory. I'm okay. So this Dino De Laurentiis produced this movie and uh, a little movie called Blue Velvet, and they were shooting that at the same time in the same city. So David Lynch was shooting in one side of Wilmington, oh. and uh, Stephen King was shooting Maximum Overdrive on the other. And there was a, a theory... Once again, that is Blue Velvet going on in one corner <laughs> and Maximum Overdrive happening yep. over here. Wow. Uh, both very normal movies. Yes. Um, and Equally so good. I, ha I had heard, the very first time I actually screened the print that we watched tonight, a friend of mine who's in the film business was there and came up to me and was like, you know David Lynch shot some of this movie. Whoa. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, apparently there was a point where Dino's like, okay, you need somebody who has experience directing and to help you out. And that he uh, invited Lynch over, and then Lynch had a hand in directing the sequence in which the boys on the bike and all the stuff is going on around him, you know, where you have the... The uh, the sprinklers turning on and off, and you're seeing like the dead dog with a uh, race car in its mouth, yeah. and all that. And uh, wow. normally, you know, you hear that kind of thing, you're just like, oh bullshit, you know, whatever. But I'm when you watch the movie, you go, there is something different. There is something more filmmakerly happening in that moment where you're seeing wow. things happening in the background. It's not just what's in front of the camera. It's like a whole mise en scène thing going on there. So it was one that I tended to believe, uh, but uh, there might be a little update from. Uh, about this, so yeah, I have a friend who's uh, in the film industry who has uh, like David Lynch. His house is also a little bit of a compound. Like they have like an like a recording studio there, and he has his painting studio. And the the, the impression I get is that there are people in and out of there, artists all the time doing stuff. And knowing that, I asked him a while back. The, you know, knowing he was going over there. Hey, could you find a way to get the question to David Lynch as to whether or not he <laughs> secretly directed a portion of Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive? <laughs> and he was like, I got you. <laughs> and the word came back, fuck no, I didn't. <laughs> like, like, someone asked him about it, and he was like, I've never heard that before, and it's absolutely not Whoa. true. Yeah, which Whoa. is... Print the legend. Yeah, yeah. yeah print yeah. the legend. So just pretend I didn't give you the downer ending <laughs> on that on that story. And I'd heard he directed like, the whole thing. So take that. <laughs> don't you? But but do you? I mean, do you all agree that's like the best sequence in the movie? 
It's the one that's most fully visual storytelling. Yeah, I agree. Right? But it also makes the least sense because if the machines are coming alive, what kind of, like in, in 1986, there weren't, or in 87, the movie set in 87, there weren't really like circuit boards controlling sprinklers or anything. So I don't know why. Right. I don't know, it's like a valve, you know? I don't know. I don't well, know. They, play, they play pretty fast <laughs> and loose with the rules on that. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, the trucks are here to kill you. Yeah. Electric yeah. knives are here to kill you. Yeah. A fucking pinball table <laughs> will blow your shit up. Yeah. But, like, there's multiple cars in this movie mm -hmm. that are not revolting against the owners. Mm -hmm. Like, when uh, Brett comes in with the fucking Bible salesman, their yeah. car's fine. Mm -hmm. When uh, Lisa Simpson and the guy that looks like <laughs> Haley Joel Osment plus mm -hmm. Andrew McCarthy, when they come <laughs> into it, like... Their car is fine. Yeah, that's true. And nobody's watches like shock them. Those little mm. Timex calculator watches. That's true. That's true. If this we're was ripping the lid off maximum <laughs> overdrive here tonight, folks. Nobody's pacemaker blows up. There's yeah. some inconsistencies. Yeah. There, yeah, and you know there were some pacemakers in there. I know there had to be, man. That would that would have been awesome. Just somebody yeah. sitting there at the diner. Suddenly their chest yeah. explodes outwards. Oh, See a little good. shrapnel. That'd be good. So you know, talking talk conspiracy theory, I have yeah. I have heard somewhere that Romero supposedly directed some of this, right? Have yeah. you all heard that? Like he was on set a lot. I think everyone directed some of this. Yeah, yeah. The Romero was on set. We with, just went with through this Lynch thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> now we got to go to Chris Romero. Um, <laughs> so if if Maximum Overdrive, the events of this happen today, mm -hmm. what is the thing that's going to fucking kill you? That you cannot get away from. What is the your phone? Technology? Your phone, man. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna use Siri to take you to some cliff or something. You know, man. <laughs> a GPS kill. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought you were gonna go with just like oh, phone battery exploding oh, or whatever. Yeah, but no, the too. GPS kills yeah. is awesome. Yeah, that's more cinematic. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking about this watching the movie because uh, I am a I am not a an outdoorsy kind of person. Yeah. I do not like being hot. So I am addicted to my air conditioning. So mm. I have a feeling somehow my air conditioner would be the thing that kills oh, me. Oh, yeah. That's I good. don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. Freezing me to death, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Not as fun as the GPS kill. Yeah. Scott, what, what's killing you? I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, you seem psyched about this question. What is it? it what, it's got to be a thing that I like encounter a lot. Well, something that would come alive in, in a maximum overdrive scenario. What is killing you? I think the funniest possible answer here is a vibrating butt plug. <laughs> um, yeah. Because yeah. once those things latch on, I mean, you know what I'm talking oh, yeah, about. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, you're done for. Yeah. I, I think that would be pretty would and be. admittedly hilarious. Way <laughs> yeah. To go yeah. Out, you know? it'd, be, it'd be like the. You remember Top Secret, the movie Top uh -huh. Secret? It'd be like the what was it the like the, the, the anal intruder? Is yes, that what it's yeah, with yeah. the big fist. Yeah, yeah that it takes <laughs> the sur it takes the surgeons like six hours to remove the smile from its victims. You know? <laughs> Thank God we're recording this. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I even wanted a, a, a deeper picture. Like, are you using said butt plug when it happens, or is right, it like sentient and it's crawling we're towards your butt? <laughs> I can tell from the room we need to move on. So, uh, uh, I think they want the people want an answer to this uh, question. But you know, uh, I don't think they do. <laughs> uh, uh, a major aspect of this movie, one of the more commented upon things, is the fact that Stephen King brought in um, ACDC mm. of all people to do the score for the movie, not just the soundtrack, mm -hmm. but the actual score. Um, 
And I was thinking while watching it tonight, um, really, that's the only choice for who you would want to score. Maybe ZZ Top. (laughs) But, like, who else would you bring in to score maximum overdrive? And all the music fits. It's this, like, sweaty, sort of sleazy, gritty music. It kind of reminds you of Summer. Like, ACDC just, to me, that's like a summer band. Yeah, I agree. I, I only want to hear ACDC when it's like 90 degrees or more yeah. outside. No, I agree. ACDC was a very good choice. Like, that, that's, the, that's the beating heart of the movie, I think, is ACDC. <laughs> you keep claiming beating hearts in this movie. <laughs> For the machine movie, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Green Goblin face is the beating heart yeah. of the movie. No. Yeah, um, yeah there's... There's, a, you know, the fact that it's very electric guitar heavy, you know, mm-hmm. fits in. Like, th- this isn't an acoustic movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. No. It, Twisted Sister, maybe. Twisted Sister. Oh, uh, yeah. That was, the, that was the height of Twisted Sister, you know? So they might could have done it. Although, you know, Dee Snyder, y'all heard Dee Snyder talking about It, haven't you? No. Y'all haven't? Yeah, Dee Snyder is always, not always, I mean, he has claimed a few times that he pitched the idea of um, a clown... No, am I getting confused? No, yeah, he says that he he had the idea for it before Stephen King wrote it, and he feels what? Like, he feels like Stephen King stole it from him. If oh, I'm, we gotta oh. get him on the show. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have that conversation. <laughs> did I tell you my D. Snyder story? No, have I ever told you? So and I went to did, Dragon Con in Atlanta in 1998, and I saw D. Snyder was gonna be there. He had that really shitty fucking horror movie. Was it? Strange Land? Strange Land, yeah. yeah. Y'all know who D. Snyder is, by yeah. the way, yeah. right? Yeah. And so Round of applause for D. Snyder before... <laughs> I don't know if we should be doing that, but it sounds like the appropriate thing to do no, before went, Eric drags he, him to hell on back. Yeah. Oh, no, this he, is a good story. He went to Congress for us, man. He's important. Yeah. Oh, work? Yeah. All yeah, right. No, he, Wasn't he, he on, like, The Apprentice, though? Really? Oh, that's a bad... That's not good. That's not good. Yeah. In 2020. Um, and so I saw D. Snyder was going, so I'm like, you know, it would be really funny if I bring something to for him to sign. And I had a British quad, which is a bigger poster, it's the like mm-hmm. movie poster for Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And Twisted Sister has a cameo in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where they're filming a music video on the back lot. And I'm like, well, this would be funny. And I doubt anybody brings this for him. And I'm standing in line to get his autograph. And there's there's like everybody in front of me has like Twisted Sister albums, like the the most hardcore like music fan people and I go up there and I get to the table and I unfold this poster and he fucking lights up. He is so excited. He's like he's like, oh guys look at it and he starts taking the poster around to everybody else and he goes, This is my first movie. It's like this is really cool. And so I had and then he signed it and I didn't look at it until later, but he wrote to Eric, you're gonna burn in hell, D Snyder. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Hey I've I've got a I've got a signing story from a D also. It's um, yeah. D, D. Wallace, actually. Oh. Yeah, I was, we were at the same con together uh, a few years ago when we were both guests of honor. And you brought her a Twisted Sister album? <laughs> yeah, sign? exactly. No, but I kept, I kept like cruising by her booth where she was like signing for hundreds of people. And I would always like look, but I didn't have the nerve to talk to D. Snyder because she's D. Snyder. No, mm-hmm. I'm D. Snyder. D. D. Wallace. D. Wallace. I think she was D. Wallace Stone. Stone, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, Finally, she took a break and left, and so her booth was empty, so I snuck over and stole one of her headshots. And, um, and I thought, well, that's as close as I get to, to her. And then I go up to the green room to steal a sandwich or something, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sitting there eating on my sandwich, and these two huge dudes walk in, kind of case the place, and they're, her bo- they're, they're D. Wallace's bodyguards. <laughs> and she comes in, 
being escorted by them. And she comes and sits right down beside me. And we have a great conversation. I'm telling her all the movies of hers I love. And just every, it's great. And then, stupidly, I pull out that photo and I ask her if she would sign it. And she looks from it to me, from it to me. And she says, you stole this off my table, didn't you? And, and I said, yes. And um, so then she, she, she signed it, bite me. And <laughs> I'm surprised D. Wallace is traveling with multiple bodyguards like <laughs> what level of fame do you think you would have to reach where where you like would you have to be threatened in some way before you got mm. bodyguards or like do you think that there would just be a certain level of exposure if you suddenly had 10 million followers on yeah, twitter yeah. you know that kind of thing well, I, I think she could walk 6th street and be okay or walk around here and be okay but I think at a convention where everybody knows who she is, she's going to get mobbed, and she can't take two steps. Sure. So she has, like, an icebreaker to walk before her. That's what, sure. it, that's what I think. Right, right. I'm asking about you, though. Oh, about me. Yeah, like, when, like what, where, where would you have to be in order? Oh, yeah. What would have to happen in order for you to hire a security team? Maybe and Scott and I are available, by the way. Johnny Rose <laughs> Beef. Very reasonable rates. Maybe if I won one of those big Powerballs or something, then I would mm. need bodyguards. Fair enough. I'd have family coming out of the woodwork, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a... You want bodyguards just for your family? <laughs> okay. You are a, a gentleman who has uh, found himself in a number of hair-raising encounters. Mm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this topic to segue into something that is a tradition on the show mm. whenever you appear, which is telling us uh, the last insane encounter you had with a, a creature of some sort, like a, a spider or a snake or a bat, or you fought a bear to death with your bare fucking hands. <laughs> or, like, I don't know if you have heard Steven's previous appearances on the show, but every single time he's like, yeah, I fucking... I was at H-E-B and there was a... There was a king cobra <laughs> behind a box of kicks. And I was like, oh, and I fucking, so I bit its eyes out <laughs> and fucked it. And then, and then I got $2 off my kicks. And you're like, what? <laughs> so uh, can, you, can you regale uh, us with your, your most recent strenuous encounter with uh, something venomous or, I don't know, whatever... That's freak a, show shit you've been up to a, lately? That's, that's a good question. I don't actually. <laughs> it is a good question. I don't actually. I don't actually eat kicks though. I just. I listen to. <laughs> I listen to kicks. Do y'all remember kicks? I love kicks. Kicks was one of the good ones. Them and Cinderella. Anyways, um, um, let me think. I did walk up on a bear last year. Actually, um, it was yeah. Paul Tremblay and I were I walked Paul, up on a bear <laughs> with Paul Tremblay. You said yeah. Paul, Paul Tremblay and I and Jeremy Robert Johnson are all walking through Telluride about 2 in the morning from bar to bar. And Paul is like a step in front of me because he's got longer legs than I do. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, he just does. He turns on his heel, and he's going the other way, a serene expression on his face. And I keep walking. <laughs> and I keep walking. He didn't say anything. <laughs> no, he didn't say anything. Y'all keep walking. I'm done. <laughs> They'll see it. And that, and that bear was, it was crossing from alley to alley. Telluride's like 900 people. It's a little bitty place. Mm -hmm. And... The bear was from, it was like closer than me to this front of this table. It was right there. It was a big, it was a black bear. It wasn't a grizzly or anything. But still, seeing a, grizz, seeing a black bear at two in the morning is kind of off-putting, you know? And, yeah. and um, yeah, that was pretty scary. That wasn't any kind of, that wasn't exciting. How about an exciting story? Did the bear acknowledge you at all? Yeah, it looked up at us and realized we weren't trash, so it kept moving, you know? <laughs> we, were a, we were a different kind of trash, you know? Yeah. Um, but... 
I know. How about I am 17 years old, and people people sometimes ask me why why are there why are there dog attacks in your stories, oh, and um, and where I grew up in Midland, Texas, like it's a boom and bust economy with the oil, you know. So when everybody is flush. People go and buy satellite dishes. This is the 80s. Satellite dishes and <laughs> suntan beds and fancy dogs, like big, rare, huge dogs. Mm. And then when the bottom falls out, everybody drives out to where I live and dumps all their tanning beds in the pastures because I, I guess that's what you do. I don't really understand the <laughs> logic. And, and What? Uh, no. I, we would play in them all the time. Like but, you might go out and look at a pasture and there's a yeah, fucking suntan. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. And they would also bring their du- their huge... But why would they take it to a pasture in, instead of yeah. sending it to the dump? Well, no, the big question is, why do you need a tanning bed in West Texas? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Fair, but like also... It'd be like dropping it off in an orphanage or yeah, something. No. <laughs> Although they'll, the orphans could get use out of it, yeah. I guess. But well, you the could, cows aren't. They'll look fabulous. Yeah, you could probably cook hot dogs and cupcakes in a tanning bed. That's a <laughs> yeah. trick, man. Um, but anyway... They would they would drop off their junk out in the pasture so it wouldn't get repossessed, which I guess is out of spite. I don't know, but they would also bring their expensive dogs and bring them to live with the farmers, which was us. You know, they would and and so we would have these packs of dogs. They wouldn't all go live with somebody. Some of them would pack up and go feral, and you'd have like big old Rottweilers and white German Shepherds, all these mismatched big dogs that were they lived off what they could kill. And so one morning coming home about 2 in the morning, my truck peters out and dies for whatever reason. And I'm about three miles from the house, and it's all black out there, nothing. And, and so I just start hoofing it home. And pretty soon I start to hear something on the other side of the fence and start walking faster. And I hear it again. I walk a little faster. And then I look behind me, and a dog jumps out of the fence, and it's padding behind me on the road. And then all its friends come, too. And there's five or six of these big dudes. And so I just hit the, I just run. I figure I can run until they catch me. And I run and run, and they're, they're on my heels pretty tight. And there's an old abandoned house up here on the left. And I finally, <laughs> I make it into that overgrown, overgrown drive, and I'm running, and they're right on me. And I hit that little planter in front of the house with one foot, and I dive up onto the house. And I have to spend the whole night on that house because the dogs are jumping and trying to get on the roof and circling and stuff. And that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> That was way better than the bear story. I <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you sure that wasn't Wolfen? Yeah, that I know. sounds like I'm like Wolfen. Wolfen is the first horror novel I ever read, man. Oh, really? Yeah. I knew that. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's time for the mid-roll ad read, and as we were talking about up front, this entire episode is brought to you by the good folks at A24, who are putting the Philippu brothers talk to me in theaters on July 28th. Uh, Eric, I believe this is the best horror movie I've seen all year so far. We saw this one uh, while it was making its festival rounds, and mm-hmm. uh, and watching this thing with an audience is, I don't know, it's kind of why you go to horror movies. I think it's one of the reasons <laughs> why horror it. movies like do so well, even when all other movies are flopping, because you get that that great experience when you're terrified in a room with a bunch of strangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not something you can get at home. I met one of the brothers. At, oh yeah. Uh, South Park. Yeah. I honestly don't remember which they're twins. It's twin brothers. Yeah. I don't remember which one I met. Um, but uh, I was talking them up and uh, you know, I was, I was on the verge of uh, sliding a business card 
across the table <laughs> to try to get them on the show, get the get the boys on the show. Um, right. Because I I'd, I'd seen it by that point, and I knew our listeners were going to love this movie and would want to hear from these guys. And uh, he got pulled away right before uh, I could make my play. On the one hand, I'm um, I'm sad that we didn't we didn't get the brothers on the show, but on the other hand, I'm glad that. Uh, you know, A24 came along to sponsor this episode and give us all the excuse we needed to uh, talk very hyperbolically about how good this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is it's definitely one that I'm I'm excited to see again. It's got a really cool premise. It's essentially a bunch of kids like teenager kids. You know, they they get stoned and what they do, they hang out and then they grab the hand of a uh, of a dead person. Apparently, this is uh, it kind of yeah, just looks yeah. like a plaster, a plaster it's a, sculpture. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a disembodied hand. Think of the hand from like the Adams family. It's covered in plaster. And, you know, there are the the lore of the thing is not really uh, highly defined. It's kind of, you know, um, this thing plays out as it would actually play out in real life. Like if a bunch of teenagers got their hands on a disembodied hand and it was covered in plaster and by shaking hands with it, you could connect with the dead, which is what happens here. The teenagers in real life would react exactly as they do in this movie. They're they're filming each other, interacting it with their phones. They're posting it on social media. Some people think it's you know a hoax. Other people think it's real. The people that are actually interacting with that hand know, though uh, they know goddamn well that it <laughs> is real. And uh, we see what happens when uh, the heroes of this movie. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to dance around it so I don't. You know, <laughs> spoil anything, anything right? but yeah. when the hand does what the hand does you're gonna get a big eyeful of it it's a scary movie it's also uh it's also a gory movie you're gonna see some um see some really gnarly special effects in this one there are yeah. there's a one particular shot uh in this thing that i really wanted to ask them how they pulled it off because i have i am i'm still not sure how they did it involving a I won't, I won't say what goes on in the scene other than to say that it involves an eyeball and you'll know it when it happens. <laughs> um, I think it's really going to catch on with uh, the social media crowd, certainly. Oh, and yeah, I for sure. I, I think that horror, the the current horror generation is just going to go absolutely apeshit for this thing. I, I, I'm, I, I might go back and see it again in a theater when it comes oh, out. Oh, I'm definitely going to go. Yeah, I want not just because A24 is sponsoring this. I was planning on doing it anyway. So jokes on you, A24. Yeah, it's this will be one of those movies where after you've seen it, you're going to want to show it to people that have not seen it because you're just going to want to see how they react to it. It's it's that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. Ideally, um, what you want to be doing is like, you know, checking it out when it hits theaters on July 28th and seeing it with the most sold out crowd possible, if that makes sense. You want a lot of people in that theater, and I don't think they're going to have a problem getting asses in seats for this one. And it's like universally rave reviews on it. They really knocked it out of the park, these guys. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I, I kind of left the theater having the same buzz feeling that I did after I saw It Follows, where you're just like, here's a really cool mythology just executed extremely well. Right. Uh, you know, it's an original horror thing. It's not a franchise thing. It's You get a, get that excitement, that dangerous, you know, uh, feeling you get from from these kind of young and hungry uh, up and coming filmmakers. And uh, yeah, we're both totally. big fans of it here. And uh, we want to thank A24 yet again for uh, sponsoring this episode. Yes, absolutely. I guess with all that said, we should uh, get back to Stephen Graham Jones. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Tell, I can tell a steer story. Let me tell a yeah, steer. Yeah, sure. All right. All right. <laughs> I got a fun steer story. Um, I'm 17, maybe 16. 
and I'm raising steers for FFA, and uh, I'm not very good at it. I, I, don't, I don't always remember to feed them and do all that kind of stuff, but anyway. It's kind of the main thing that you have to do <laughs> yeah, when you're raising them, but yes, steers go ahead. Are, steers are just cows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but What's the difference between a, ske- a steer and a cow? Well, a cow is like a grown-up... Well, people use cow for both, both genders of cow, but it's really just for the female cow, a cow and a bull, and then a steer, and there's a heifer, too. A heifer is like a year-old cow, and right a steer on. is a male, and the steers usually get cut so they don't grow horns and get all tasting bad, you know, if, if that makes sense. By um, cut, you mean remove the yes, testicles. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but, um, and back then I was so playing... steers are eunuchs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty okay. much. They're like a... Uh, like a a gelding, you know, a hor- if they were a horse, they'd be a gelding. But um, but they don't sing. They don't they don't sing anything. <laughs> like a, like uh, what? <laughs> no, eunuchs. Eunuchs. Did got, you say they don't they're, sing? Yeah, well, that's why eunuchs. I didn't expect the yeah. cow to sing. No, but eunuchs. Eunuchs got cut to preserve oh, their high yeah, voice. Yeah, I see. Yeah, so, yeah. so they all sounded like the tabernacle. Yeah. Right. I, I I followed you. I followed you. Yeah. Um, but so I'm at basketball practice one day about 5:30 after school. And somebody comes into the side door of the gym all breathless, and they say, Steven, Steven, your steer is out again. And I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll get it later. But they say, no, you got to come, because it was rampaging, doing all this stuff. <laughs> and um, so I, I slouch out of basketball practice, and I go, and I find my steer. And sure enough, it's tearing. It's found like a – we didn't have neighborhoods, but there were, like, clumps of houses. And it's tearing through all the houses, knocking fences down and stuff. And, and so I anticipate where it's going to be. I park up there, and I wait for it to run past. And I'm in my basketball clothes, and I run behind it, and I grab onto its tail – and I rode that steer for about 15 minutes, like through fences, through <laughs> across the road, and I got I got so torn up. And um, finally, it got so t- it got tired enough that it trotted back home for water. And that, so I didn't really do anything to make it tired. But that was the ride of a lifetime, man. You ever just hang out at home and watch like steel magnolias, or <laughs> <laughs> just like take a bath and put some candles? Or anything yeah. like soothing? Or are you just constantly embroiled <laughs> with one fucking insane encounter with wildlife after another? I think they're encountering me. I just I don't go looking for it, but they. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like someone who there's like always drama in their life, and there's like, hey, it's not me, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is you. There's something about you. What do you think it is? Do you think that? Um, what is it? I think it's that I'm a very hopeful person, you know? I, I hope things are going to work out, and then they go sideways immediately, every mm. time. The animals know? have no idea about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I can see that you putting yourself into situations, because the last time you were on the show, you talked about driving by a snake in the mm-hmm. road and just on a whim deciding, you know what, as the car is moving, <laughs> I'm going to lean out and grab the snake so I can show my kids. Yeah. My kids were very impressed. They yeah. were very impressed. <laughs> and so that that is the the mark of a hopeful person that yeah, I'm going yeah, to not only yeah. pull this off but also grab something that's not going to kill me the second it puts its face. It is, in. yeah. I used to always I used to always put my hand on the wall and try to get my friends to shoot between my fingers, but they would never do it. No, know, dude. Man. Yeah. Are you out of your yeah. fucking mind? Well, like, no. Are but... you? Are you? What is the matter with you? <laughs> no, they had, they had they were good. And I'll like play the knifey game, like <laughs> yeah. knifey, yeah. sticky, yeah. pokey, yeah. like bam, 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 like yeah. from Aliens, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh. But yeah, like yeah. shoot between my fingers. Well, one of my one of my friends is a really good shot. Um, <laughs> like, and he was the one I would usually trust with this. And as an example of him being a good shot, we were 16 years old at Robert E. Lee Lake, driving down a little two track, a little rut road with. We each had a girl with us, and 
a snake, a little like four foot rattlesnake zips across the road, which is nothing, but I want, I want, we wanted to show off for the girls, you know? And so we stop right quick and I jump out of the truck before it's even stopped and I chase that snake into the, into the mesquite. It, go, it dives down into like a, almost a pack rat nest at the base of a mesquite and I, I worm in after it and I'm way too ambitious because I go in really deep and I get too, and I have my little 22 rifle with me and I get too close to the snake to shoot it. It's like, it's like, like right here, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, which is, you know, this is a podcast. It's like two feet from my face. And, um, and so I really slowly pass the rifle back to my friend and he holds it right by my temple and shoots that snake in the head. And it all worked out fine, you know? <laughs> but I, I would trust him to shoot between my fingers, you know? No. That was your chance. You could have put your hand up uh-huh. and had him shoot through, uh-huh. Uh-huh. through your fingers at the snake. That could have been, that could have been classic, man. Yeah. If I had tried that, I would end up with fangs in my forehead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Um, going back to maximum overdrive. <laughs> hey, did y'all read the story? A, for oh, a moment. Yeah, yeah I, re- I reread the story, man. Yeah. Oh, I've read it. Yeah. I've read it. Yeah. And I can't imagine how it would... Okay, well, tell them about trucks. Yeah. Trucks, it starts with the trucks already being, I don't know, what you call it, possessed or... Sentient? Yeah, sentient or killer, aggressive, whatever mm-hmm. they are. And then it's just about these people in the truck stop trying to survive. And to tell you the truth, the story ends really, really well. Mm. Like, it's one of King's really strong endings, I think. It has such a poetic last line. It's like um, one of the characters, they haven't beat the trucks, and they're probably not going to beat the trucks, but he looks up in the sky and sees a plane and thinks... I hope there. I wonder if there's people in there, and it's such a cool ending. It's mm. not a. It's not the way Stephen King usually ends his stories. He usually, he doesn't tie things up with a bow, but he does resolve things, yeah. you know. And there's no resolution in trucks, and it really makes it bleed out into our world in a really good way. I think it's a cool story, yeah. and he undermines that in the movie because there's that. Yeah, that, that plane shot. Yeah, you know, what is that? Ride of the Valkyries. This plane yeah. thing that's, you know, right. of all yeah. fucking things. Yeah, like um, uh, I had a question and I forgot it. Uh, well, I, inter- I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry about that. Well, no, I, no you, I don't think you did. But. <laughs> uh, I will say that a lot of the inconsistency problems that are in the movie aren't in the short story because mm-hmm. it is literally, because it's called Trucks, mm-hmm. it's just the trucks. Yeah. And yeah. so the, what's really cool about the story is there's comes a point when they're like demanding the gas pumping that the human characters go, okay, we just have to wait them out. It's fine. And then, then they realize, oh, they're going to enslave us. Mm-hmm. They're not going to kill everybody. They're just going to enslave us, and we're going to be running uh, factories and stuff and pumping out more, more cars and more trucks yeah. and whatnot. And uh, it's be, a really bleak it is. story. It's like the opening movements of The Matrix, kind of. Yeah. 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 It is Stephen King's The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Maximum <laughs> overdrive, for sure. And incredibly, a thing to know about trucks is that they made a movie <laughs> of trucks. Like, in addition to, like, if Maximum Overdrive wasn't enough, they made a movie based specifically on the short story, which is a little more, uh, I don't know, like, faithful to the source material? Uh, More faithful and way more boring. Um, Yeah, it's it's a Canadian Canadian production. Um, I don't know how familiar uh, y'all are with Canadian cinema, but... um, (laughs) If it's not, like, if Cronenberg's not directing, there is a pronounced manila folder feeling to, <laughs> to, to some of their stuff. It, it feels very beige. Uh, and, and that particular movie, Trucks, is like, 
it's it's got all the flavor of a glass of water. Uh, but there is uh, one sequence where a man is killed with a, a, a male man killed brutally with a small remote control car mm-hmm. that uh, causes him to trip off a curb. Have you seen this? I have not. I didn't know about this. Okay, at all. so this guy this guy falls off a curb and he's like down in the street and he's like ah and he's like trying to deliver his mail and this radio controlled car is like you know that tripped him in the first place starts ramming his head into the curb wow. <laughs> and so there's like I think it's I think we timed it. It's a 47-minute sequence where <laughs> the the RC car is just like, eh, bam, eh, bam. And the guy's like, ow, 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 until he dies. And it goes on for fucking ever. Uh-huh. It's worth seeing just for that scene wow. alone. But uh, wow. I, I still give it over to Maximum wow. Overdrive for being the more fun version of oh, this. Yeah. this. So story. is that how that, like, I, the big question I have coming out of Maximum Overdrive is yeah. how did that remote control car kill that dog, you know? I can't fit, maybe the that's dog how. was chasing it and then it, like... Maybe. It, it's like nose in into the dog's mouth. That's and, true. Like, that's what mm-hmm. the dog wanted, so I don't know why it killed it. I don't understand. It doesn't have enough electricity to shock it to death. I don't know, I don't know how it died. It was bloody, so... Was bloody. I think the, the implication is that it choked to death. Okay. Yes. Oh, maybe, yeah. Like on the hood of the tiny cruiser. It could have. But could've. that's the big question you walked away from that movie. That is the big question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What? Explain to me how that car killed that dog. Uh, what is y'all's favorite elements? Of this movie, mm. I like the. Um, well, I was gonna say I like the no explanation, but I guess we have the the crawl at the be- the the script at the beginning right. and the script at the oh, end. Oh, they give you plenty of yeah, explanation. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, I, I guess when I say no explanation, I mean none of this makes sense. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> the the I don't understand. Like I was saying, I don't understand how the trucks or the machines are communicating with each other, and I don't know what their end goal is either. Like with zombies. I also don't know their end goal. They're locusts raising the landscape, and they're going to starve themselves to death. They're not planning ahead for the future. They're right. only thinking about today. But what are the, like these trucks need maintenance? You know, they need people to change the belts and change, swap the fluids out, and all that stuff. And if they kill all the humans, how are they going to get any of that done? Because it's not an automated age. Eighty-seven wasn't an automated well, age. In the short story, isn't there a plan to like basically turn everything into a parking lot? Yeah, and enslave everybody to. That's the fear. Them. Yeah, that's the fear that they. Yeah, they voice. Well, they do something well, we different have here. Capitalism for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, they do something different here. Why? Where they make the alien threat, where mm. Emilio Estevez pulls this completely out of his asshole. Yeah. By the way, yeah. his theory of the broom, like th- this is just the broom wave to wipe us all out, mm-hmm. so the aliens can move in after. Uh, yeah. So I think that ultimately there's no goal there, but if they had stuck closer to the story, mm-hmm. to me that's creepier. Yeah, I agree. and by they I mean you, Stephen King. You <laughs> fucking know what you did. Yeah, you know um, I, I wish that yeah. if, if this like passing through the comet's tail had made every machine in the world go crazy and attack anything that came within its radius, that would be a believable story. Yeah. But the fact that these machines are all acting in concert to wipe people out or to threaten people enough that they do maintenance on the trucks and fill the trucks up with gas, that seems like a weird end goal for yeah. and if it is an alien if it is aliens coming to colonize Earth, then what do they care about the trucks being maintained? I don't know. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me finally. I think it <laughs> this movie feels like just a bunch of 
halfway fun kill scenes, you mm. know? Mm -hmm. Hence the slasher comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's to bring it all back. Yeah, slashers are known for moving from set piece kill to set piece kill. Yeah. yeah. Eric, what's your favorite thing in the movie? The score. I mean, the ACDC yeah. vibe, like I think it really pumps it up and there's there's a point that I've noticed cuz I do love this movie and I've always loved this movie. It went from like guilty pleasure to I just love the whole attitude of we're just going to have a good time. We want you to have a good time. Have fun. Mm -hmm. Here's this ridiculous overlong, you know, bridge opening sequence that mm -hmm. goes on for 17 minutes and you feel like uh, they destroyed 18 cars, you know, in the process just because they could. Yeah. It's like, fuck it, let's throw, let's throw watermelons at Marla Maples. And yeah. then let's, I was going to uh, say, Trump's ex-wife is in that scene. Yep. I don't know if y'all know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The lady in the, the watermelon car. Yeah. yeah. Like her, the husband character in the car gets out and he's wearing like tennis, tennis shorts or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's Marla Maples. Yeah, those yeah. watermelons were a good idea though. That keeps the rating from going into X because it's all red, but it's not blood. Ah, you know? yeah, like smart. That. Stephen King yeah. knew what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the score, the score is my my pick. I think my favorite thing in the movie is when, you know, it's built up a certain amount of tension. We're not sure what's going to happen next, and then you cut to a wide shot of the highway. And there's like a fucking trolley car <laughs> on the highway with a machine gun mounted to it, just like moving at 20 miles an hour <laughs> up the highway. And then this thing comes to negotiate with them. This is uh, the that little like machine gun cart thing yeah. is the thing that I can never stop thinking about when I see <laughs> this movie. Like. Wow. Where are the bullets? Uh -huh. Who is loading this thing? Uh -huh. isn't, isn't it entirely reasonable to expect that once you go through that like canister of ammunition, mm -hmm. like you would have to drive back at 20 miles an hour <laughs> all the way up the highway to get like refilled by... Yeah. And who the fuck is even refilling it? Who loaded it to begin with? Yeah. Why is it on a thing? Like yeah. with and a it's little, got a bulldozer bodyguard too. Yeah. yeah like what what purpose did this thing? It that does not exist. The yeah. machine gun on top <laughs> of a, a little push cart is not a thing. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, on Ever. The, on, online they call it the M sixty buggy, but I don't know if that's a real military thing or not. <laughs> I have no idea. There is no seat or anything behind someone, it, so it's like, are you just yeah. supposed to stand there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, the gun is behind you, so even if you were in control of the steering wheel, <laughs> you'd be getting like blasted from the shoulder yeah. blades yeah. down oh, only if you were people. actually on it. Yeah. It makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Its approach, though, is very much like the approach of the um, in Die Hard when the armored vehicle comes to take out the lobby. That, uh -huh. that approach is so similar, those yeah. two, you know? Mm. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's true. And die hard something is... Die Hard and Maximum Overdrive <laughs> have in common. They're basically the same thing. And yeah, also yeah. a genre-defining movie, exactly, each one. Exactly. So. Yeah. I wonder how they got away with using Green Goblin without paying licensing fees. They did pay licensing fees. Oh, they fees. did? Yeah, oh, okay. if you watch yeah, it at the very end of the credits. Back in that day, they probably weren't paying that much. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. much, but... Uh, they couldn't get away with it now, but like I love that they because you know they did it legit, which is why the Green Goblin head is on yeah. every Blu-ray release cover, every like yeah. piece of merch from it. They're yeah. getting their mileage out of that. It's probably the <laughs> the best investment made by Dino's company yeah. in this. It would also like that you see you see from inside the cab over the steering wheel past that Goblin, and you can't see crap. You know, right. like, how did that truck driver drive? This does not seem remotely legal. You know, why would you even want it on there? <laughs> Like why? Like as a truck driver, like if you yeah. were a truck driver, wouldn't yeah. you want just like 
just fuck. I don't give a shit. <laughs> just make sure there's a bed in the back. Like, I'm yeah, not worried yeah, about, like, yeah. impressing anyone with yeah. a cartoon villain on yeah. the front of my... It, it's such an absurd... Well, and unless the mouth is like a... Unless it's an air passageway, the truck is going to overheat because it's, it's, yeah. the radiator's not getting the air it needs, you know? We found out, like, a few years ago that the maximum overdrive truck is, like... Do you remember this, Eric? Like yeah, it's not the full it's truck. Like, it's just the head of the Green Goblin. Yeah, yeah it's just like sitting in a field somewhere. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I think somebody... Yeah, said, they, they restored it and they go to conventions with they it They do, now. yeah, they drive yeah. it around now, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, because that brings up a good point, because logi- logically, they're, the Green Goblin head's there because it's a toy truck, right? But mm-hmm. most people don't, like, exclusively drive. Most truckers don't exclusively drive for no, one, no. one company. So when he's hauling, like... Toilet paper or something? He still got the Green Goblin head yeah. on the truck. Yeah, that's a weird. weird or decision. maybe he's under contract just with uh, that toy company. That's a lot of toy deliveries. Yes. yes. It was the know. '80s. It was the era of toys. It, it was. That's right. It was. It Hasbro was the and, '80s. Yeah, Hasbro and Mattel own the world. Yeah. yeah. I have. I have never seen a movie. Like watching Max. How do I, How do I put this? Um, <laughs> I have never seen a movie that smelled more like cocaine. <laughs> than maximum overdrive. Like, and this is, this, that's, that's serious. Like, any, mm-hmm. if you watch maximum overdrive and you're like, why would, the answer is cocaine. Every fucking time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is back when King was, you know, doing a lot of blow. He was still drinking. You know, he was um, not in the best, not in the best shape of his life. And, uh, you know, he's he's clean now and, for many decades, and, and God bless him for that. But at the time that he made this movie, uh, it was a fucking party animal. Yeah. And I think it comes through on the screen because yeah. it's, it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 where it's just like wafting off the screen. Yeah. Dennis Hopper comes onto the screen in, in Texas Chainsaw 2 and you're like, holy shit, I have a contact high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just from yeah. that, you know? Oh, I, you know, te- talking Texas Chainsaw 2... When I was living in Wimberley down here in eighth grade, my father hung roofing tile in Austin. He would commute every day. I mean, it's not that far. And on the weekends, I would help him. So I would get to go into Austin with him and get on the stilts and hang roofing tile, you know, at nighttime. Wait, on the stilts? On the stilts, yeah. You didn't have ladders? No. Well, are you uh, like a Cirque du Soleil? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can have ladders, but you spend so much time pulling them down and moving them, it's easier to be on stilts to go from place to place. And um, so I would go work nights with him on the weekends when I was in eighth grade. And one of the places it turns out that he was hanging tile in was the movie theater down here that was doing the premiere of Chainsaw 2. And so we were there after hours before the debut. And... I got to step across the velvet ropes when no one was looking and play on all the chainsaw furniture. And that was oh, magic. Yeah. That was so magical when I was 14 years old, you know? That's wild. Yeah. But no snakes. No snakes in that. No, okay. no, no. Just bone furniture. Yeah, yeah. I do have more snake stories. I better save them, though. <laughs> I know. You got to come back yeah. for, for the, the third of <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah. J. Daniels. In, the, in, in addition to the cocaineness of it all, <laughs> there is also, like, we cannot. Ignore the fact that two of the biggest trucks in this movie, it's one of them is for Bic lighters and mm-hmm. the other one is for rolling papers. Yeah. Like, I feel as though <laughs> that's not unintentional. Yeah, I didn't think about that. 
What is the Thurston truck? Is that some brand that used to be around? I don't know what that is. They said Thurston. That was the biggest word in the whole film. I don't know what it... I, I assume mean. they make poppers. Yeah. yeah or maybe, <laughs> you know, some uh, other 80s uh, drug that was, that was like... What was that drug? Like, you got it out of a lid? Like, it was like a Carmex bottle? Like, what was it? Do y'all remember that? Rush. It was called Rush. Do y'all remember Rush? No. Nobody remembers Rush. Oh, they Rush. still sell Rush. They but did? that's like what... That's what poppers are now. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, All you right. can go to like a head shop. I can't believe I'm about to... <laughs> This shit, because, like, very recently... And if any like, of you are cops, you have to tell us now. <laughs> no, it's all it's all legal, but, like, you can go to, like, a head shop, like, the kind of place around here that sells, like, CBD, and be like, yeah, I want whatever your version of Poppers is. And what they will sell you is a little bottle of a thing called Rush, which, like, I don't know if y'all know anything about this, but this is the stuff that made... Gary Oldman peel off his face in Hannibal. Um, and uh, what they sell now, which is entirely legal, is like VH, VHS cleaning fluid, which it turns out if you sniff it, it fucks you all no, up. Really? Wow. You know, wow. and uh, yeah. Wow. Well, you got you to gotta pull and put that in the next book. <laughs> I guess so. VHS, I did not know that. Oh, go out and experiment with it. You'll <laughs> yeah. love it. You can feel your fucking brain cells dying while you're wow. doing it. Yeah, it's Fuck, amazing. I remember that. Do you guys remember? Because you used to sometimes have to clean your tapes. I remember VHS cleaning fluid. Mm-hmm. We had that. I'd buy from like Blockbuster. They'd have like those yeah. clamshell mm-hmm. fucking packages where you'd have to, the VHS tape cleaner. We yeah. never had money what for do that. You mean we clean would clean tapes. Yeah, we, well, you'd clean the heads on your VCR. Yeah. But we would use um, Noxzema pads to clean our VCR. You yeah. know? They worked work pretty good too, you know? You learn something every day here at the yeah. podcast. We're here to spread the word about VHS cleaner. <laughs> we are uh, we're closing in on time, but uh, I would like to take some questions for the audience. Oh. After everything we've just rambled into the microphone, like I don't know what the fuck. Hey, listen, y'all got questions? We got answers. That's, yeah, yeah. So, uh, please. If, raise your hands if you have anybody. Oh, we do have questions. a traveling mic, so yeah. And be aware, you'll be on the podcast. Yeah, sir. Yes. Right. Oh, oh. Now come on, come on up. Oh, oh. okay. What did you think about? No, the... we have there. There is a mic. Oh, already. they got a mic. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay. What did you think about the fact that Emilio Estevez was blistery and worn out from actually pumping gas for more than four hours. I know. <laughs> that, that was really... I've, I've pumped a lot of gas in my life, and I never, I never needed somebody to like carry me away from the <laughs> pump. You know? But it was 95 <laughs> degrees out there. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's it. Maybe. I do remember when I was a kid watching that, the thing that disturbed me the most in this movie was that weird close-up they do of his blistered hands, yeah, yeah, which yeah. it looks so fake now, it just looks like putty, but yeah, for whatever reason as yeah. a kid, I was like, that's what happens when you yeah. pump gas? You know, but also the, um, <laughs> when, when du- Duncan, Duncan the mechanic is looking into that you know, gas sprayer and it uh-huh. goes in his eyes, like, I've, I've been bathed in gasoline and it does, I mean, it's, you, not, wait, what? it's not pleasant, what? it's not pleasant, but you don't like, you don't bleed from the eyes, you know? You've been bathed the in gasoline? What the fuck is the matter with you? <laughs> Why have you been bathed in gasoline? Yeah, I guess this was diesel. Diesel's a little more oily, but diesel has got That be- doesn't make any <laughs> fucking difference. <laughs> that yeah. really doesn't. Well, it was uh, a different kind of gasoline. <laughs> it was slightly more expensive, but not yeah. so oily. It's great for your pores. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what we, what, what we used to do for fun when we were young was we would get, we would get a... 
we would get a five-gallon um, thing and fill it with diesel, and we'd all stand around it with matches, and we'd throw matches into it and see if it would blow up. And it never blew up on us, but it's pretty scary to do that. If, uh... <laughs> do you see what we're dealing with? <laughs> and you bought this man's book. <laughs> mm. All right, we got another one. Yeah. Dr. Jones, uh, what is your favorite werewolf story in any medium, and why? Who is asking this? I can't see no, you. And the, ba- the baby. Right. Well, you call him Dr. Jones, you, doll. You. Yeah. Um, my favorite werewolf story, James Blish has a story called, and then, then, then something darkness, and then there was darkness, or then there's, there, there shall be darkness. I think that's the title of it. That's Rob. That's Rob back there. Rob, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I think it's that story for short stories. For novels, man... Yeah, I can't say my own book. I wish I could. But no, I would say Christopher Bielman's Those Across the River. For film, I would say Ginger Snaps. I yeah. love Ginger Snaps. But to tell you the truth, Howling is the closest to my heart, probably. Have you read Glenn Duncan's The Last Werewolf? I have, yeah. yeah. What did you think of that? It was, it was fun. It was, you know, I heard him on a... I know, I know, I know that y'all, are, y'all, y'all, y'all have talked to him. Is that right? Did I hear him on y'all's show? No, we haven't talked, but uh, I, I read it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's uh, yeah. a friend of mine, a uh, yeah. friend of the show, Mallory yeah. Romero, yeah. recommended um, it. Very horny. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I remember when that book was in promotion, they were, he was on some interview, and they asked him, you know, it's a horny book, and he said, well, I like sex. And I thought that was the weirdest answer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's a fair answer. Yeah. Yeah. Scott got really like, defensive. Why would He's you like, not what's wrong it? with that answer? Yeah, and why, why wouldn't you want it to be horny? Like, <laughs> yeah. What are we, writing a book for children? <laughs> all right. Next question. Yeah. yeah, man. All right, first I just want to say you all make podcasts like a hero. And, uh, yes, they do. thank they you. Do. We do. In, in a movie where the acting is very obvious... Do we want to talk about Curtis's pee fetish? Because it didn't seem like that was an acting choice. Oh, Curtis's so. pee fetish. I'm gonna go go to I'm gonna go go into the bathroom. For <laughs> yeah. That. Scott's got a pee fetish too. He's just doing it right now. It's only his own. I don't know, but what is his pee fetish? What it's like he got when they went in the sewer. Remember? Oh, like yeah. he just kept talking about. Ooh, I, I wonder whose pee's in here. Yeah, like how did it taste? I do have something to say about that because when like use use the microphone. Yeah, when they're oh god. Yes. Yeah, because when they're in the car, uh-huh. Yardley, you know, she's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And oh, like, yeah. Can I watch? Yeah. And I was like, what is this freak shit? I know. Anyway. No, that's <laughs> good, that, good, yeah. good observation. Yeah, like Curtis, he doesn't understand the stakes of the situation they're in, it feels like, <laughs> you know? He, he, he's just making jokes. I don't know. He, I think he's trying to deal with it as best he can, but it, it is troubling now that you point that out. Yeah, and now a, I will never not be able to see that in the movie. That's, yeah, so that's thank true. You. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 All right, got another one? Curtis well, is a weird dude all around, yeah. though. Man. No, go. go. I, like, I like Curtis. Like, the more I watch the movie, again, like, Curtis and, yeah. and Connie, like, grow on me. Yeah, a, yeah, for just sure. Just this weird left-field couple that's in this situation. Yeah, and Yardley, Yardley, she, like, is really embarrassed by this film, isn't she? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we, we've actually, because she's a podcaster now, too. Ah. And I'm like, oh, she's a podcaster, and, like, mm-hmm. I put some tendrils out. Maybe come on the KingCast. Mm-hmm. And, like, <laughs> lots of brick walls running <laughs> running into that. I don't, I don't think she's uh, very psyched to talk about this. Maybe I'll say that this is the Simpsons cast reaching out for, for it, and she'll do it. All right. Steven, I am dying to know, how do you write a good coming-of-age horror story? 
How do you write a good coming-of-age horror story? Oh, man. Um, it, I guess it helps if you've gone through it yourself in the first place, you know? Which, uh, that sounds like a wimpy answer, be an adult, right? Um, <laughs> how do you write a good coming-of-age... I think if you, if you rig the story such that we don't know if it's going to happen or not, if, if it's not going to be success, if it's going to be successful or not, this, this maturation process, this ritual, then maybe you can make it interesting. I never have thought about that, though. That's a good question. Do, do y'all have any answer? I don't have any answer, really. What was the question? How do you write a good coming-of-age story? Oh, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't well, just as write an observer, stand by me. <laughs> just in, as an observer of what you did with My Heart is a Chainsaw, mm-hmm. I haven't finished the new one, so mm-hmm. I can't say if you mm-hmm. replicate that success. I've been about halfway through. It's awesome. You guys will be happy with it. Thank you. Um, but just as an observer, the way that you set up Jade to be the buddy of the final girl, and then you pull the rug out from under her, and you give, you give her a much bigger arc where she never sees herself as the final girl, and she becomes the final girl. Yeah. She has so much faith that she's yeah. not the final girl. Yeah. She spends the entire yeah. story doing that. So by the end of it, you're. There's just. I think it's the surprise. That's what what got me. I think, I think you're totally right. I think yeah. the the trick, just to rephrase what you're saying, basically, yeah. if when the protagonist who is going through this maturation process is doing whatever it is they need to do to to move from here to there. If they're unaware of that movement, then I think it hits harder when they land, right. you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. But You're welcome. Yeah, that's good, man. I wish I thought about it. I don't think about stuff when I write, you know, yeah. at all. I just, you got to start doing that. No, nah, I don't think. Brain, brains are not good for fiction, man. <laughs> no. You need heart for fiction. You don't need brains. Yeah, you, you need, need the heart of somebody that will dive headfirst into a <laughs> rattlesnake den. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so out of all of your books, which one would you choose to be adapted into some form of like either a movie or a maybe a TV adaptation? Who would you want to direct it? And who would you want to star in it? Oh wow, um, that's a and lot of questions. Yeah, I know. Um, no. I'm gonna say, um, in, if I can, if we're going wide here, I would say, My Heart Is a Chainsaw, Lee Janiac, and Devry Jacobs. If those all make sense, you know, is that the right name, Lee Janiac? She did the Fear Street stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I, she was really good with that Fear Street stuff. She, yeah. as far as camera work, like, she's, I would say she's almost as good as Wes Craven in a tight hallway. She mm-hmm. is so so good, and um, I, w- I think I'd prefer to have a female director for that story too. Yeah. Yeah. But right. Debbie Jacobs, you know, y'all know her from Reservation Dogs, of course. Yeah. I think she could pull off a really good, um, a really good Jade. Anyways. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, just to pull away from My Heart is a Chainsaw in the new book a little bit. Uh, so in um, The Only Good Indians, um, did you all of your encounters with wild animals and snakes and spiders, as we all like to talk about all the time, kind of inspire that revenge of an animal situation? That's a, yeah, did, if y'all couldn't, could y'all all hear that? Did all my encounters with animals, yeah, inspire Only Good Indians in some fashion? Yeah, it definitely played into it for sure. And what really played into it was guilt with the Only Good Indians. And what happened was in 2007, I think it was, I was up on the reservation in Montana and I got an elk, a cow elk, big cow elk, lots of meat, brought the meat home to Texas. 
had it in my freezer, and then suddenly, like three or four months later, I'm moving to Colorado, and every time I take an animal in the field, after I've after it's down, I've, I promise to it out loud that I'm going to use every part of it. That I know this was terrible, but you're not going to waste. Which I don't think it makes it any better for the animal. Actually, <laughs> it it was, oh, thank God. Yeah, I know, I know. They're just out having a day, and suddenly they're shot through the lungs, you know. But um, Jeez. which is not great. But um, but it does taste good. Um. <laughs> But so I made that promise to that cow elk, and I was gonna, I've always kept those promises I make to those animals that I hunt. But then I was moving to Colorado, and, you can't, and I was going to be on the road for three months in between, and I, you can't drive around with a freezer full of meat. And so what I did was I took all that meat in a big duffel bag, a couple of duffel bags, a few trips, up and down this row of houses and gave away steaks, roast, ground sauce, all the stuff at all the houses. And... Moved away, but for the next 10 years, I, would, I could not stop thinking about what if somebody, as soon as they closed the door, turned around and threw that in the trash? Because why would they trust me? You right. know, I'm just this long-haired dude giving away <laughs> meat at the door. You know, I probably wouldn't eat it. And so that is really where it started with me thinking I had broken a promise to an animal, which I think is a terrible thing. To, it's a terrible thing to break any promise, but I think it's especially bad to, like, children and animals, you know? And so... <laughs> It comes from guilt, so it does come from animal encounters, but um, this isn't from a fun animal encounter, or it wasn't fun for the animal, anyways, you know. I know all the children I've killed, I promised to <laughs> yeah, promise yeah. them that it, didn't, it wasn't in vain, so. Yeah. All right, we got another one in the back. George, hey, what's up? I think this is our last one. All right. All right, so to tie things together, uh, has Jade seen Maximum Overdrive? And what would she do in a maximum overdrive situation? Ooh. Oh, that's a good question. I think Jade has seen maximum overdrive. I don't think it's probably, like, she kind of exists in pirate land, I feel like. She gets mm. most of her stuff bootleg. I think maximum overdrive is probably out in that sphere. What would she do if she were surrounded by trucks at the, what, Dixie Boy truck stop? Mm -hmm. um, she would probably get killed really fast because, <laughs> because she would be lecturing everybody on how to survive, you know? She would be walking them through what they need to do and why they're being stupid, and somebody would shut her up probably, which would make me sad. But <laughs> you think Bubba's going to be in there? And <laughs> yeah. Someone would shut her up. Like, you're not the one fucking writing it. <laughs> It'd be real weird, dude. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> yeah. She discovers the stash of guns before Bubba's ready for that to be found. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what the fuck is up with this guy's armor? Oh, I know. I know. And they, that, shoot, they shoot from the hip, too, those rockets. I know. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. Not a single person. Because bazookas were all over the fucking place in the 80s. Like Rambo, G.I. Joe. Yeah, yeah. Like, I had eight toys with bazookas yeah. on their shoulders. Oh, I know. Indiana Jones yeah. has a bazooka yeah. on his shoulder in the first Raiders. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that's weird how they just chose to do it that way. It I never is. thought about it, but everybody who picks up the bazooka, even uh, the We Made You waitress, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. holds it out at her hip. Yeah. And I guess, was it was Predator the next year where mm -hmm. Jesse the Body Ventura is shooting from the hip with that minigun? Yeah. Right? Yeah, so maybe that was cool in the 80s. Yeah, I don't know. that's yeah. how you knew you were a badass. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like in the mid to late 90s, like you had to point your handgun yeah. sideways. Yeah. 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 yeah, same difference. Yeah, and like the bad guys, when their gun runs out, they always look at it like they're betrayed. Like, <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, folks, uh, yeah. we, we want to thank you for uh, being here tonight. Uh, first of all, let's give a huge round of applause to our special guest, Mr. Stephen Graham Jones. And where are you going to be setting up for the 
I'm going to be in the back, they tell me. And okay. Somewhere in the back, which is the opposite of here. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. see somebody. Yeah, he's pointing with his fingers. All right. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see the little table back yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I'll be back right. there signing. And thank you all so much. That's an adorable little table. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's give a round of applause to Stephen King for directing Maximum yes. Overdrive. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here tonight. Listen to the KingCast. Keep reading Stephen King. And, of course, keep reading Mr. Stephen Graham Jones. Y'all have a wonderful evening. Thank you for coming out for this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was great, man. Thank you. KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. Hey, 